Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Villander. This is Mary Carrillo. This is Pam Shriver. This is Yannick Noah. This is Craig Elliott Shapiro, and you are listening to The Tennis Podcast. Well, thank you, Craig, for introducing this edition of the Tennis Podcast. Craig Shapiro is somebody we know from the tennis circuit. He's got his own podcast. He's uh, a lovely chap who supports us, and we're very happy to have him as our friend, uh, one of many that we have this year, and we're thrilled to have all of you uh, supporting the Tennis Podcast and getting access, hopefully, to great content that we're able to produce additionally on top of all our weekly shows and our dailies during the Grand Slam tournaments. And if you'd like to become a friend, if you want to introduce a show or, or get a shout out at the end you, you're able to do that um, in our show notes is a link and you can become a friend and there are lots and lots of shows like the one Martin Del Potro story the Lee Nar story we've got shows uh, leading up to the Australian Open that uh, took place a couple of months ago we've got our review show from the Australian Open we've got listener question specials and yeah go and become a friend uh, I've got a friend with me on the tennis podcast today it's Matt hello Matt all right Hello, David. Yes, I'm very well. Thank you. The uh, Friends of the Tennis Podcast feed is is your ideas platform. It is, really. It's it's great. It's my dumping ground for ideas <laughs> <laughs> on top of the uh, the weekly podcast. You, you'll be you'll be telling that uh, that I'm not Catherine. I'm not presenting the show. Uh, uh, we're not presenting the show as we normally do because Catherine is in Indian Wells. Um, she's there for Prime Video, uh, but she is with us in a different form because we've we've sent her some questions overnight to answer. Hello, Catherine. Hello, team. Sorry I'm not there in person. I would like to be, um, but it would require David and Matt uh, getting up at about four o'clock in the morning, which actually might be incredibly achievable for David. Um, but, yeah, I hope you'll understand uh, why we're electing not to take that route. Uh, so here I am uh, leaving voice notes. The first question I've been asked is, what's it like being at Indian Wells and how does it compare to my last experience in 2019? Um, my one and only experience of Indian Wells, in fact, besides 2020, when I, of course, packed my bags and ended up going nowhere. 
Um, it's extremely different, this experience, for me on a personal level, because in 2019, we decided to have a, a studio position with a fixed desk, um, which was great and like a real statement at the time from Prime Video to say, you know, it's quite a big deal to to pay to have a studio and it's all very, um, you know, eye-catching and everything. And, and it was very cool at the time. But it did kind of take us away from the action. You know, the, the studio position wasn't overlooking a court or anything. And I really didn't feel like I got out and about and got a feel for it the tournament and the place very often at all and I saw very little actual tennis being played you know real live tennis balls being struck with whereas this time is the polar opposite where and about where um we're kind of allowed to present from anywhere I mean the tournament are incredibly accommodating um of of broadcasters which you know we really appreciate um you know we there's not a spot on the ground so far really that we haven't you know turned into a makeshift studio which is really good fun it is it's hurting my feet and my back a lot <laughs> um i yeah my body is creaking uh like i feel like i need one of the um a-frame walkers that quite a lot of the um more elderly attendees of the tournament have and quite a lot of the time when I'm shooting links they will have to be reshot as the cameraman tentatively and dejectedly informs me that uh someone someone with a walking frame sort of edged into shot <laughs> at the end and ruined the whole thing um so on a personal level for me it's a very different experience um in terms of pre and post pandemic not that the pandemic is over but obviously sort of post the thick of the pandemic and and um and everything that came came with that this is the most normal um post pandemic experience i've had um there is pretty much no mask wearing the tournament tournament employees and officials are all wearing masks and i appreciate that um but you don't see anybody in the crowd out and about wearing a mask and um I feel more comfortable with that actually than I would have expected. I think because I'm basically outdoors 100% of the time um, and, you know, the data on outdoor transmission is, you know, it's it's incredibly unlikely and you have to you have to be fully vaxxed to attend the tournament and they are checking all of that. So um, while I was uh, a bit surprised and taken aback by it to start with, the fact that it just kind of felt normal... Um, I've I've allowed myself to enjoy it feeling really normal um, and I have enjoyed it feeling really normal. I really, really have. Um, I've enjoyed all of it, really, apart from my, my feet and back aching so much. I really have enjoyed being here. And the thing is, I think I think everybody is. And I, I there's there's no non cliched way to put this, but we're all just grateful to be here and not taking it for granted like perhaps we were before there really is that feel about the place um yeah this tremendous gratitude I think and um I'm sorry that that sounds so trite um but it's just the truth and I feel very very lucky to be here and I'm trying to soak it all in and make the most of it and 
see as much of it and feel as much of it as possible. Um, and get a tan. Um, don't worry, I do have uh, very strong sun cream on. Um, but I'm very, very slowly and in a very English way developing a little bit of a tan. Uh, see photos on Instagram for evidence. I also feel like I should tell the listeners um, who may or may not be hating me right now for being in the sunshine and having a lovely time watching tennis in Indian Wells and talking about it on the telly. I did get stuck in a public toilet cubicle today uh, and had to be rescued by two members of the Prime Video crew um so I might be having a lovely time but I have no dignity left to my name um and if I'm feeling charitable uh I will uh proffer the video footage that was so lovingly <laughs> uh <laughs> um recorded uh by Olivia our wonderful hair and makeup artist uh, during my personal crisis I will proffer that to Matt and David uh, for publication on our Instagram feed. Um, so it's not all glamour, folks. Sometimes you are stuck in a toilet cubicle. Well, that feels like a kind of reassuring return to some semblance of normality there at the end, Matt. <laughs> Very Catherine thing to do. Yes, I must say, Catherine and I did have a running joke in Melbourne that whenever she went off on her own to do something she would invariably come back having had a bit of a crisis whether that be (laughs) whether that be spilling coffee down her dress or wandering around with only one flip-flop on because the other one had broken (laughs) or having been caught out in a massive thunderstorm or something so yeah two weeks of Catherine on her own I can I can imagine some things happening Okay, well, let's hope that's the end of the the, the terrible things. Uh, very amusing and uh, great to get Catherine's insight. I mean, it's it's a long time since I've been to Indian Wells. I went there in 2007 and 2008. And I mean, I think a lot of it is still the, very similar to how it was then. But there's a, there's been a lot of work done on the place. But but I can... I can remember her coverage back then behind the desk and thinking, you know, actually this would benefit from being out and about. And and now that they're able to do that, um, I mean, it's been amazing, hasn't it, to see them literally on the court at the end of matches with Emma Raducanu or Andy Murray just wandering up to them for a chat. And um, that that brings the coverage alive, really. So great to have Catherine out there. And we'll, we'll have another show on Thursday. That's our plan. And then, obviously, our wrap-up show on next Monday. Um, but we want to try to really bring this, this tournament to you as much as we possibly can. So Catherine will hopefully be able to record further voice notes for us um, and give us some more insight. And we've also got some thoughts from her having been courtside with Radicano and Andy Murray playing um, in today's show. So we'll, we'll get to those a little bit later when we talk about uh, Radicano and Andy Murray. But um, there's just so much to talk about today on the Tennis Podcast because so much has happened. So You only need a few days of Indian Wells, don't you? And suddenly there's just so much to talk about. Yeah, no, it's true. I'm I'm often a little bit grumpy about uh, Indian Wells being 10 days long and thinking, is it really necessary? And it can often be quite a slow start, I think. And I was a bit worried when they put out their their tweets of their first round popcorn matches, which included 
I think Fanini and Duhar was on there, Surundalo Sock. What I'm saying is this was not my definition of popcorn and I was <laughs> I was just a little bit worried that maybe the first round wasn't wasn't going to be that good but actually there were a lot of good matches um and right from the start sort of every order of play maybe other than the first one has been has been pretty awesome but brimming with quality yeah. loads of matches I want to watch and yeah we're what four or five days into the tournament and we've we've already got so much to talk about mm, having worked the event and and also Miami over the years that middle or first weekend which Mm. is obviously three or four days into the tournament so you've still got all the big players about to play there they've had their bye they're playing their first round matches and they're all on in that first weekend and it's I mean I I said to Catherine if you can't contribute at all I quite understand because I know what it's like it is so difficult to to kind of get through a day with the, it's a, it's a bit like that first day experience at Grand Slams that you sometimes talk about of it being just overwhelming mm. and I, and I think it is the one shame of it all really that I will this tournament will come and go and there will be amazing matches and storylines and dramas and intrigue and narratives that I feel that I will know nothing about because I might have just read the results or heard somebody tweet about but there's just little dramas all over the place because there's just so much that you can get your teeth stuck into really around this tournament i think if you've got a pass if you've got a grounds pass or um you know and you you could just have any type of day and a different one every single experience you know there could be there could be 10 different people who've gone into completely different courts and all had an amazing experience Mm. and and know nothing of each other's um so it'd be a great way to sort of catch up in the pub afterwards wouldn't it um, but that's what the tennis podcast for. So we can try and catch up on a bit of it with you. And let's start with one of the headline stories of the tournament, really. I mean, I think the first couple of days were notable by the fact that all the big names and all the really notable players were winning. And really, the only one that lost early on was Naomi Osaka. Now, she beat Sloane Stevens in the first round, um, which is a rough old draw, really, for both of those two players, but it shows how far they've fallen. Both of them were unseeded. But then Osaka lost to Veronica Kudamatova, 6-love, 6-4. And this match was really notable because of, of something that happened very early on in it. And after a single game, I watched this back the following morning, and it was it was, it was, it was a hard watch, I've got to be honest, because after after a single game, somebody in the crowd shouted out you suck Naomi and she got very upset about it and she was crying throughout the set she she was asking the umpire to eject the person that had had shouted that and the crowd tried to get behind her um she wanted to speak to them at one point in that first set even just a couple of games in it was it was all very awkward and difficult and it I felt so sorry for her because she was suffering out there was was Osaka and Claire Wood the 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 referee came out to talk to her didn't completely understand what what or hear what she was saying to her but I think effectively it was you you can't speak to the crowd mid-match that that's not allowed but they they did allow her to speak to the crowd at the end of it and I mean Osaka lost that first set six love she then tried to get herself going in the second set Lost it 6-4. Kudamatova was really good. She was playing some great tennis uh, from her own side of the net. But at the end of the match, you had this very unusual situation of first Kudamatova 
saying a few words, answering a few questions in the on-court interview, and then Osaka coming to the mic and addressing the crowd herself. And and there she said that when she'd been heckled on this occasion, it was unlike previous occasions where she'd been heckled, where she she didn't get upset about. But in this instance, her mind immediately went back to 2001 and the heckling and an awful booing that Serena and Venus Williams were experiencing. And that led to them um, just refusing to play the event for, for more than 10 years, didn't it? And um, I mean, that had a, a real racial overtone to it uh, at, at the time. I mean, it was it was awful. And and I mean, it was it was proper racist behavior, frankly, uh, towards Serena and Venus Williams back then. And Osaka said that that came into her mind and she couldn't remove it. I mean, what what was your your reaction to it when when you saw what was going on, Matt, and, and, and heard all of that? Yeah, I thought it was a very powerful thing Osaka said on court, actually, the point that for her this wasn't just heckling. You know, she, she said she's experienced heckling in the past, lots of players have, and it's not nice, absolutely. But it is kind of accepted as a little bit of a fact of the sport that sometimes it is going to happen and Osaka recognised that. But she said this was different. At least her experience of it was different as a black woman playing at Indian Wells where, just as you said, 21 years ago, Venus and, and Serena were racially abused. And I think, of course, she's sensitive to that. Um, you know, I don't think we as as two white men here are in any place to sort of judge how Osaka was feeling out there and the connection that she made to that event 21 years ago. Um, That is where her mind went. Her experience is her own out there. It was extremely triggering and upsetting for her, clearly. Um, I guess what I'm saying is is I've seen a lot of analysis of this incident with people saying oh, this is proof that Osaka isn't ready to come back. This is proof that she's got to toughen up and, and all of that. And I think those sorts of comments, they're just ignoring the context. You know, they're sort of failing to see it from Osaka's perspective here and maybe not understanding why she would be extra sensitive at Indian Wells, um, which is a place, as Catherine pointed out to us, that is predominantly white, you know, even more so than a lot of other tennis events. Um, So I think whether or not that was the intention of the heckler, there is a race element here that is is part of what happened. Um, And yeah, look, maybe it is an indication that all the work she's been doing to be able to be a tennis player again is still a work in progress. You know, she maybe is more sensitive, more delicate generally at the moment. Um... But I think we have seen her also make quite a lot of progress, you know, in that in that area. Lots of her press conferences, she's had a, a lot of balance, a lot of perspective. Yeah, she's still working on it, but she she has been in a better place. And it was just just such a shame that this happened and and has sort of set her back a little bit. Perhaps I I, I felt terribly terribly sorry for her out there, but but I really did understand why why it upset her so much. Mm. And and just generally, that work in progress is probably going to be the case for the the duration of her career. Probably, 
um, to some degree, isn't it for all players to to work out how best to to cope with these incredibly pressurized situations that they find themselves in? And I don't like this judging of one size fits all. You must be like this because I was, or I had it worse. Um, Naomi Osaka is is her own person, and and absolutely she has her own lived history as well. Um, and, and I just think she's so there's so much good from her within the sport that the the more tennis can get out of her in the future productively so that she's able to be happy on a tennis court the better and if that means i mean she was talking about it i think before the event or after the sloan stevens win she she may not play very often at all and that's okay. that's all right really i don't I think we should just take what we can get if she's happy i'd rather see a dozen tennis tournaments of Naomi Osaka being happy and enjoying it rather than playing a 20-25-event calendar and hating it. Yeah, no, indeed. And I think in terms of her scheduling, she's she's stuck a little bit at the moment because, as you said, she doesn't want to be playing loads. But in order to not play that much, she probably needs to get her ranking up. But in order to get her ranking up, she needs to play a bit at the moment and have some good results. Um, so it, it's kind of a tricky situation she's in. But, you know, she did also say some really encouraging things about being up for the clay court season this year and really targeting that and trying to make some progress on that surface. Um, that was before all this happened against um, against Kudamatova. But, yeah, I, I do think there have been some positive signs for Osaka generally about about how she's feeling on the tour and um yeah I, I don't think this was 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 necessarily connected to all that mm. let's have a look at some other results that we've had over the course of the last few days Rafael Nadal played his 16th match of the year and he remains unbeaten just about because he was 5-2 down with a double break against Sebastian Corda uh, ended up winning it in a deciding set tiebreak. I mean, I joined that match really quite late on, and and I I just saw a note from you saying this hitting from Corder, and I thought, oh my word! You know, I went back and had a look, and it was devastating. It was like it was like Corder just realised that his normal game, his normal fluid game of just sort of. Uh, consistent and aggressive hitting is not going to get it done and he was going to have to go lights out and my word did he and he got himself to the brink of victory so how how did he get to that position was was Nadal off and from 5-2 did Corder choke two big questions uh well Nadal afterwards said it was one of the worst matches he's played this year and he look he wasn't trying he wasn't trying to you know take anything away from Corder's performance there I think honestly that was that was his assessment of his own game and and it wasn't great from Nadal it was definitely nowhere near the level we saw from him in Acapulco where he was pretty much flawless and and a lot of the times during the Australian Open as well um but Corder was excellent Corder was really good and and he's so tall, he's so he's so big, he can get on top of Nadal's topspin. And he was able to just dictate from the baseline, really, push Nadal around, especially with his backhand. It, it was sublime, the hitting from Corder. So smooth, 
just just lovely to watch him play like that and yeah he he put himself in, in a winning position and look choke is such a strong word and I tend to use it when a player's in a position where they should win 99 times out of 100. It's as bad as it can get, choking. Um, and I'm just not sure the circumstances of the match were that. You know, he was in a great position, absolutely, double break up, serving for the match twice. I think if he fails to serve it out from there against, I don't know, Rublev maybe, or Krenja Bustas, you know, as a sort of solid top 10, top 20 player, that might be a choke. But this is Nadal, you know, and Corder's literally called his cat Rafa. <laughs> Nadal is his idol. So we're calling it progress rather <laughs> because last time he played him, he won about four games in three sets, didn't he? So let's look at it. Glasses half full, maybe. <laughs> well, that's it. Yeah, he, he got himself in an amazing position and... It was a different pressure to anything he's ever experienced trying to close out Nadal, his hero. And did he tighten up? Yes. He started missing. Uh, and that was a major part in why Nadal did mount that comeback. Absolutely. Corder got tight, I would say. I would describe it as. And he allowed Nadal back in. But also, Nadal started doing things a lot better in, the, in those final few games. He, he he cleaned up his serve in particular. He was having real trouble, Nadal, on serve, hitting loads of double faults. And he came up with a couple of incredible backhand passing shots just when Corder was, was trying to serve it out for the second time. And look, generally, he did all the things you would expect Nadal to do. And he came up with some amazing quotes afterwards saying, you know, you've got to, you've got to let him win rather than try to help him win. You know, he he just knuckled down didn't make mistakes and he said yeah I got I got pretty lucky probably but in that position you're probably going to lose 90% of the time but if you don't try you're going to lose 100% of the time so I tried I stayed in the match and it and it worked out it was it was classic classic Nadal and still I thought he would I thought he would lose from that position after all these years I still underestimated him. I still thought, okay, Corder's got this, but Nadal, you know, you don't count him out. No, no, and it's a great sort of um, philosophy for life, isn't it? The way he approaches his tennis. You often hear about how great athletes become motivational speakers in their post-career, and and I, I sometimes think. Really, you know, is it, does every does sport always apply to life? And, and I mean, often I don't think it necessarily does. But I look in this, he he is so straightforward, isn't he? He's just he he's got enough about him that he just thinks, well, I'm just going to put it in every single point, and if I lose, I lose. But I don't. At least I give myself a chance. And here he is. He's still into the next round, and now playing Dan Evans next. Yes, and and I think, you know, I mean, that match is today. This is going to be out of date tennis news very quickly, and I may look an idiot, but generally that feels like a better matchup for Nadal than Corder. You know, Evans Evans can't, for example, take the backhand on in, in the way that Corder did and, and cause Nadal a lot of trouble. Um, one thing Catherine said on, on the prime coverage, a, a sort of silver lining for Corder, a little bit of good news is that he doesn't have to be uh, seen seen in public wearing those shorts again this week. <laughs> it's a rough look, that, isn't it? I mean, the shirt's not bad enough. It's a kind of brown tinge to it. Um, it looks like they've kind of 
just been flashed over a flame for a few seconds and got a bit of singeing. Uh, but for it to be on the shorts? Yeah, it looks like something else. Well, yeah, yeah. You, you can probably imagine what we're getting at. Um, <laughs> How they made it through, what I imagine is a sort of, you know, detailed design meeting with some of the great fashion minds of the world. How those shorts made it through, I have no idea. <laughs> um, Rafael Nadal, by the way, has withdrawn from Miami. Um, not a huge that, and that was before he played quarter, wasn't it? That we heard that he wasn't on the entry list anymore for for Miami. And I mean, it, I, I haven't heard what he said about it himself, but I imagine it's just you know something's got to give somewhere if he's going to have a proper run at the French Open and the whole. And look, he he never takes shortcuts in the clay court season, does he? He will play Barcelona, Monte Carlo. Madrid, Rome, he'll play the lot on his way to Roland Garros and something has got to give somewhere. Yeah, I'd kind of be surprised if he ever played Miami again. That surely is going to be his window to get ready for the clay um, from now on because, you know, look, he's done a lot of winning already this season. Absolutely, he's he's won the Australian Open. It's been an amazing start to the year, but still, the clay is, is his time and he's going to do everything that he can in his power to be as ready as he possibly can to attack that clay court season. Hmm. Let's have a bit of brick corner now because uh, those first couple of days were really illuminated by the sheer number of British players that were playing. I think there were something like eight players in the draw at the start. Several players qualified like uh, Katie Bolter. Um, we had uh, Liam Brody as well and then um, Harriet Dart who's still in the draw and she's having a fantastic run at the moment. She qualified, she beat uh, Anna Konyu, she then beat Alina Svitolina, and then last night, Kaya Kanepi to, to reach the last 16. I mean, it's that's quite an achievement for her. That these are results that she hasn't tended to have. I think that puts her just inside the world's top 100 now at the end of this tournament to, as, a, as a direct result. Um, so, you know, she, she carries on. Um, and I suppose last night, if we'd have started the night and said, right, how many British players are going to be left after tonight in terms of the three that are playing, uh, there are further ones playing tonight, I'd have thought Emma Raducanu would have made it through. Andy Murray might have been a 50-50, and I don't think I would have said Dart would have won. So I got it completely wrong um, because Raducanu, after beating Caroline Garcia in three sets um, a couple of days ago, she ended up facing Petra Martic of Croatia last night and served for the match at 5-4. I mean, that was a brutal match between the two. Uh, it was it was really something to, to, to behold. Um, and uh, she faded, did, did Raducanu physically. I mean, she's come into this tournament without much preparation. She'd had an injury coming in. I think she did pretty well to get to this point. Personally, um, she was then followed onto the court by Andy Murray, who was beaten seven six six three by Alexander Bublik, and he had multiple set points in the first set. Did Murray? He he really should have won that that opening set. And and the set point I saw, I mean, the, the ball from Bublik literally landed on the sideline, and he, Murray's just sort of watching it, and you get the sense that he's just praying for it to go out, and then as soon as he'd lost that that set it, it started to go the other way pretty dramatically now Catherine was um was courtside she's been interviewing the players the British players right off the court at the end of the match so she was sort of perched courtside um and can give us a, a bit of an insight into what it was like watching Raducanu and Murray 
in action from court level? So watching Emma Raducanu up close, um, I've realised over the course of um, the two matches I've seen her play this tournament and the two matches I watched her play in Australia is just so enjoyable. And um, I say that, you know, taking the British factor out of it, you know, as far as I possibly can, I genuinely do watch, enjoy watching her play as a tennis player. She's got you know, she's gloriously stylish. She really is. She's got so much range and and creativity to what she does. I love watching her figure things out. Um, I was actually sitting right below Torben Belts, her coach today, um, watching her match against Petra Martic. Um, and he wasn't, you know, on court coaching her or anything, but, you know, he was shouting words of encouragement as as we all know that coaches do. And what he was shouting was, you've got this, you can figure it out. And I really loved that. I loved, you know, he was incredibly encouraging and bringing a lot of positive energy, but it was also, you're a grown-up, you're an adult, you can you can figure this out for yourself. And I t- think she I think she takes a real pride in being able to do, do that. Look, she didn't win against Petra Martic today. Um, I think she got got a bit nervous and tight and I think the lack of matches is making her a bit or very inconsistent in matches the level is there when she's hitting her stride the level the US Open level is is absolutely there but she's unable to to sustain it you know just when you think she's in control it suddenly goes off the boil you know she was well in control against Martic today but she just needs to I do believe that will come um, if she can just get matches under her belt somehow um but watching her in full flight is so enjoyable and she has this really quiet intensity about her and it actually makes me realize how how flat she was at the end of last year post us open you know when she she came and played indian wells in october and played those indoor events in romania and in Linz, i think um, you know, she wasn't quite herself, very understand and understandably, but she's she's really brought the intensity here. Um and you know, that's a real pleasure to watch. She's a she's an elegant tennis player, um and a creative one too. And um yeah, it it really is good fun to watch. Um in terms of Andy Murray, um I actually didn't see his match against Alexander Bublik today from courtside. I watched a lot of it on a monitor that was breaking up um, due to um, it being surrounded by trees, uh, one of the, the, the many uh, hazards and, and uh, quirks of, of working in television. Um, so I was sort of watching, you know, about half of every point. Um, I think Bublik played really, really well. And I think Andy Murray will be raging about uh, not taking that first set tie break. I think he had three set points, didn't take them. And, you know, that was the match pretty much. Um, I don't think, it's interesting, I don't think about the hip all that much when I'm watching him at the moment. I watched his first round match against Taro Daniel and I'd watched his, watch him lose to Taro Daniel in the Australian Open. Um, and they were very contrasting matches. I thought he... You know, while he made a very slow start against Taro Daniel, it wasn't, the movement wasn't ever an issue 
in that match. I thought he was moving extremely well. Um, and by all accounts, the same was the case today against Alexander Bublik. Um, it's a bit of a similar thing to Emma Raducanu, really, just lack of matches, lack, lack of ability to maintain the top level. Um, and he's he's just not... He knows this himself, doesn't he? He's not clinical enough on on the big points. I do think... One thing that perhaps strikes me a little bit is that his serve is more vulnerable. It's it's more inconsistent and the second serve is somehow more attackable. Um, he, you know, his second serve has never been his forte. It's always been a relative weakness in his game. But he's always defended it so well with the first shot after the serve. And perhaps, perhaps that's not quite where it was. Um, so yeah, it's about, you know, maintaining that top level and producing it in the most critical moments, but it's a relief to not be constantly thinking about the hip or, you know, wincing when he has to run out wide to, to the forehand. Um, that's, that's not on my mind when I watch him. Um, so that's a relief, but look, you know, he... He needs to start winning some of these matches, doesn't he? I mean, Bublik played really well today, but there are so many players out there that can play really well and beat him in a second round. And um, yeah, you need you need matches under your belt to get wins, but you need wins to to play matches. It's that tennis catch twenty two, isn't it? But um, I am I am very excited to see what Murray and Lendl part three has to offer us all. Yeah, I share that view. I, I also think Lendl has to find a way and Murray has to find a way to get the most out of his forehand and rem- as a flashback in a way to what they achieved in 2013-ish because that's when he was he was aggressive with that shot and he was causing damage with it. It feels to me that this, it's, it's too conservative at the moment and players are too able to take advantage of that um and and actually you know just to, just as throwing it forward to to another player I saw play last night uh Tommy Paul who knocked out Alexander Zverev he doesn't take a backward step the moment anybody gives him a uh, last night he decided he was going to stand in and take everything on early and I think you know that's that's one area that that players seem better than ever to me now Matt is is just taking advantage of anything that's not a, a really aggressive stroke. Yeah, I think so. That that was the big difference, wasn't it? As as much as sort of mentality perhaps in big matches, but under Lendl, Murray's forehand just improved so much, the intent behind it, what he was looking to do with the ball. And yeah, I, I agree. I, I think he needs to to get some of that back. Really, I'm just excited about Lendl just just to snap him out of this cycle he's in you know really it's been it's been pretty amazing year really for Murray in terms of the number of wins he has got in a part of his career where he you know it's probably more likely that he's not even playing and yet he's getting wins and he's got to his 700th win hasn't he in 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 the first round here which was a big big milestone a big target for him but he is in a cycle of winning a first round match losing to a seeded opponent in the second round after a tight first set that he probably should have won. I mean, we've said that so many times over the last few months. And 
gets to a point where as, as impressive as it is, I'm sure Murray's fed up with it and I'm sure he wants to be doing more. And I just think, okay, he's got Miami next where he's often played much better than, than Indian Wells, you know, albeit at Crandon Park rather than, than at the Hard Rock Stadium. I think he tends to prefer the conditions in Miami. So we'll see how that goes. But then training block with Lendl and we attack the grass court season. And I just think I'm excited for there to be something different about Andy Murray over the next few months than than what we've had in the past year or so. Yeah. The defending champion played his first match. Defending champion? Cameron Norrie. Remember him? <laughs> the, the tournament doesn't appear to the have The tournament done. doesn't. It was only a few <laughs> months ago, folks. Court five he got given <laughs> for his defence. Um, and he won through against Pedro Martinez in straight sets. Now faces uh, Nicolas Bachelashvili, who he beat in last year's final, um, in in his next one. Has, has he got a better court assignment for that? I haven't actually seen. But anyway, court five is what he got given. Lovely. Yeah, that was. I I, th- I thought that was really... Poor, actually. Look, I mean, okay, does being defending champion trump Nadal? Does it trump new world number one Medvedev? Does it trump uh, pass against Sock, which I think was the other match on the main stadium that day? Maybe not, but surely it deserves at least a kind of stadium two, which is a really big stadium. Um, the thing is, I don't think Nori minds that much and it certainly doesn't affect his tennis you know as as good as Nori has got over the last year or so and he's won big matches on big courts I still back him the most when he's maybe on an outside court under the radar just getting on with the job and that's exactly what he did to win Mm. to win pretty comfortably but yeah I did just think come on you don't get to be Indian Wells defending champion much give him give him that moment and and they took that away from him Actually, I think he was pretty wound up about that, to be honest, from what I heard from him afterwards. Oh, yeah, okay. He wasn't happy about that. He felt he should have been well, treated better. Him. Actually, he's, he's been given court three, it turns out, for tonight. Um, uh, I mean, actually, there are some, some good matches ahead of him, to be fair, uh, on the other two courts. There's Nick Kyrgios against Kasparud. More of that later. Uh, and we, there's Riley Opelka against Denis Shapovalov tonight. Um, Jensen Brooksby against Stefano Tsitsipas, Nadal, Dan Evans. There are some good matches, to be fair, um, with big names. So it's not easy, but you're right. He should have been, had a better one for his defending mode. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello, Tennis Podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. 
being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering Tennis Podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. I mentioned, by the way, that uh, Tommy Paul had a great win last night. That was over Alexander Zverev. And, and honestly, Paul... It was extraordinary. It was it was like watching Kyrgios when he's doing his own version of the Roger Federer Sabre. He was sort of standing inside the, the the baseline for every second serve that Zverev hit and, and just taking them on the half volley virtually. It was amazing to watch the way he stepped in and, and it paid off for him both in the moment, I think especially in the first set where he just took took the Zverev serve apart, really. He was he was brilliant, blazing winners. But then it also paid off for him, you know, later in the match when, okay, Zverev had sort of got control of the match. He was a breakup in the third set. And Paul was still stepping in, still trying to apply pressure. And the double faults came from Zverev. And look, we've seen Zverev double fault against players who aren't doing that to his second serve. But I think he's more likely to do it if he feels tight and under pressure. And that's what Paul was was doing to him. It was, it was a really amazing performance from Paul I've always liked his game I've always thought there's something there especially on clay but to see him do that against Zverev who's now beaten two times out of two is an indication of just just how high his level can get I think Mm. now I don't think Zverev should have been taking part in this tournament at all uh, I think I've made that pretty clear over the last uh, few weeks, ever since that Acapulco incident where he smashed his racket four times into the umpire's chair within centimetres of the umpire's feet, intimidating him along the way. Um, and last week after last week's show, just a few minutes after actually, we had a, a release come out from the ATP saying that Alexander Zverev was to be banned for eight weeks and given an additional $25,000 fine, but that it would be suspended subject to good behaviour for another year. And that means not having any uh, verbal abuse or um, unsportsmanlike conduct charge against him over the next 12 months. That means he can smash a racket, he can um, swear an audible obscenity if it's as long as it's not regarded as verbal abuse or unsportsmanlike conduct. So he was let off with the, the softest penalty imaginable, I think, in the end. I mean, there was a really good piece written by Chris Clary in the New York Times quoting former head of uh, officials and rules on the ATP, Richard Ings, who said, I would have given him an immediate four-week ban and a proper ban. And and I di- he said, I did that job that they have there now around rules and and that's what I would have given but this does go along with the precedent set in the past with Nick Kyrgios and and various others like Fabio Fanini of suspending a sentence and and subject to good behavior and that's what they've given him this time I I just think it sends a terrible message to to umpires that 
frankly, these players can pretty much do what they like and they'll be given a second chance no matter what they do to you. Um, and that, that really bothers me. I, I have a, I've been in touch with a, an ex-official, one of the one of the top ex-officials, and, and he said I, I, to me, I think that, that rule needs to be rewritten as well. It's, it's just a, such a terrible thing to, to have, have, have sent a message to them with. Now, Zverev has said that it was the worst moment of his life. He said it was embarrassing walking around the locker room, knowing that everybody is aware of what he did. Um, he said he's been working on it meditation-wise, and he, he guarantees, he says, that it will never happen again. So, you know, let's see, shall we? I, I think that's a pretty difficult thing to guarantee. Um, he said, I would never have physically harmed anyone. Well, he's very lucky that he didn't, is all I can say, uh, given how close he came to physically harming that umpire. Um, but uh, anyway, he is out of the singles now. Um, lots of other results have come in. We we don't have the number one seed, Barbara Krichikova, that we thought we would have because she withdrew with an injury. I think an elbow injury, I think it was, before the tournament began. Let's hope she's going to be okay. Arena Sabalenka lost to Jasmine Paolini. This is a really weird one. Garbina Muguruza was six love, three love up and then lost 12 of the next 13 games. I mean, that kind of feels like a very Garbina Muguruza result. Because you you do get some from her where you just think, how has she lost that? But that's really extreme, Matt, isn't it? I went to bed. (laughs) (laughs) She was playing Alison Risk. And yeah, six love, three love. You're right. I mean, it is a Garbinia Muguruza result in that, you know, just when you think she might be about to do something, she can often unexpectedly lose. But as you said, this was as extreme as it gets and her game just collapsed it just it just fell apart um yeah really really disappointing for Muguruza who who hasn't had a brilliant start to the season coming off the back no. of of Guadalajara where she was so good and so inspired I always knew it was going to be difficult for her to bring those feelings that she had to other tournaments but I I just thought she might ride that wave for a while and might pick up I thought she'd pick up a big a big title on a hard court to start this season, whether that be the Australian Open or maybe even Indian Wells here. And and it just, just hasn't happened for her yet. No, no. Um, lots of other high-ranked players still in the tournament, though. Iga Sviantek beat Clara Towson. Good one. 6-7, uh, 6-2, uh, Now faces Angelique Kerber. Uh, Annette Contevate, uh, Paolo Bardossa, who's the defending champion, still in, as is Maria Sakkari. My pick for the title. That one took you by surprise, didn't it, Matt? Um, uh, Samantha Halep as well. She beat Coco Goff last night. Um, in fact, how are we doing with our predictions generally? I, I've got Alcaraz and Sakari. I've got Nadal, which almost went very badly in, in his first match. Cute. And Iga Sviontek, who I'm, I'm feeling good about. Oh. She's, she's in the top okay. half. A lot, of the, a lot of the big names have gone. And I thought she was great against Towson. You know, she was really... Mm really under pressure from Towson's firepower. And yet she stayed so present in the match. There was never any any worry that she was going to let it get away from her, that she was worried about losing and she turned the power back on Towson. It was some serious hitting. And yeah, I, I thought Shvante looked great. Mm. Catherine's got Badossa, hasn't she, um, to defend her title? Yes. And uh, Felix Orgialia-Seam, who is gone. Oh, 
Yes, mm. more of Auger uh, Seam a little bit later. Um, yeah, because we'll tell you about how he went out. Yeah, we we went in our newsletter predictions last week for these players, and now Catherine has the chance to to try to rescue the situation by another player, doesn't she, for the rest of the tournament? Yes, but only for half points. Oh, okay. And if we if we stick with our picks, we will get double points if they end up winning. Well, I'm sticking with mine. So. Yeah, me too. <laughs> I'm feeling quite good about things. Anyway, um, Amanda Anisimova, who was such a, a wonderful player to watch at the Australian Open earlier this year, beat Naomi Osaka. And you may remember was was in uh, tandem with Darren Cahill at the time. Um, she played a match against Leila Fernandez and, and had four match points for a straight sets victory, but then retired at the end of the second set when she didn't win it. And she said afterwards she's been feeling quite sick the last few days, woke up feeling ill and just couldn't get through it. Frankly, she said it's disappointing to end the week this way. Hopes to be back on court soon. Please keep your negative comments to yourself. She also messaged uh, her followers on social media and it, it is an it's an unpleasant situation for a player like that you know you you, you have a an experience where you retire from a match and you'll invariably if you turn your phone on come back to loads and loads of horrible messages from people it's it's a real cesspit and a, a feel for players in that situation also um, reported by Ben Rothenberg that she has split from Darren Cahill and the reason for it is that Cahill told her after their first practice together in Indian Wells that he felt burnt out, that he'd hit a wall, unable to commit to the tour and and ended the coaching relationship. He said it was nothing to do with her. Um, he'd been struggling with tough quarantine rules around travel to Australia uh, and said he's going to go back to Australia and, and he's going to rest there. And that's tough, isn't it? It's tough on her. I feel for her in that situation because they, they look like they were really going to get somewhere. And the, the feels like there's such unlocked potential in Amanda Inisimova that he might have been starting to help her tap into. But at the same time, I get it from his perspective as well. It's it's not easy doing this job where, where you've got to put so many weeks on the road and that sort of thing. And, and that sounds like a rough situation. Yeah, you kind of just... I hope they're both okay, really, because that's that's tough on Cahill, and you know he he must be feeling pretty bad if if he's if he's ended that relationship pretty pretty abruptly and unexpectedly by the sound of things, um, and it's and it's rough on Anisimova as well because they were really gelling, weren't they, in in Australia, and it really felt like she'd turned a bit of a corner and and was onto something really good with with Darren Cahill in her corner, so. Yeah, that was really, really sad to read that news. Now, what happened with Felix Auger-Aliassime, Matt? Because he wins Rotterdam, he gets to the final of the week after, and we're all saying, this is it. And yet he's out already. Yeah, he lost to Botik van der Zandschulp. Uh Remember him from the US Open last year? Got I do. To the quarterfinals. You don't say it quite as well as Catherine, Oh, I... I don't even come close to saying it as well as Catherine. I I, I worry every you know, time I have I, to say I handed it. it I, I handed it over to you. <laughs> we actually did a podcast together at the uh, U.S. Open where we both just butchered his name for like thirty minutes <laughs> straight, and a lot of people told us. But anyway, 
Catherine actually sort of deliberately takes opportunities to say it now on Prime Video's coverage just because she says it so well. And then immediately people start messaging us and saying, Catherine got it right on Prime Video. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Come back, Catherine. Um, anyway, OJ Aliasim was down in that match. In fact, he was down multiple match points in the second set and he played brilliantly to save them. You know, real real confident tennis that I just thought we'd seen him build up over the last few months. You know, when he was down, he was fearless. He was hitting winners and it was brilliant. He won He won the second set in a tie break. And, and I thought he would then go on to win the match. Um, but Botik van der Zandschulp was a tricky opponent. You know, he, he, he comes up with a lot of nice passing shots. He comes to the net himself, and he and he kept it up in the third set and uh, and managed to win it. I would say for Oje Aliassim, we have seen him struggle a little bit in early rounds of tournaments this year. You know, even even in Rotterdam, I think he, it was a three setter he had to get through to get himself going in that tournament. He wasn't great in the first few rounds of the Australian Open. He he's built his way in, and you know perhaps here. Indian Wells, where the conditions are particular, aren't they? You know, there are some players who don't enjoy the conditions and maybe maybe we're going to get more data on Oje Aliasim over the next few years and it will just be a place he doesn't particularly like. It, it, it does seem to me that the thin air and the altitude and, and, and the sort of, I don't know, just the feeling that it flies through the air but then it bounces and then bounces up high mm. might not work for his ball trajectory and type of i know he had he had a good run didn't he in indian wells three or four years ago mm. when he first burst on the scene but it it did strike me before this match i remember thinking i'm not sure that's why i didn't one of the reasons i didn't go for him uh, i went for alcaraz and i went for Zachary, people with heavy topspin yeah so disappointing for sure and i'm sure he'll have been expecting much more from himself than that but I don't think it undoes a lot of the progress he's made already this year. It's, it's mm. probably his first bad loss of the year, really, I would say. Yeah, yeah. No, fair enough. Uh, Matteo Berrettini and Andre Rublev are still there. They're the only top 10 players left in the bottom half of the draw. And two players who are left are going to play tonight. Mentioned it earlier. Nick Kyrgios and Kasper Ruud. Oh, yes. <laughs> uh, now, why, Matt, why am I throttling at the mouth at the prospect of this match aggro david aggro <laughs> <laughs> give us the background so they've only played once i mean it feels like they have a long history in terms of on-court history it's one match rome 2019 when Kyrgios received a game penalty he he was um, accused of swearing at a line judge. Uh, this, this prompted a massive outburst from him. And I'm sure you'll remember, I'm sure lots of people will remember the sort of defining image of that match is, is Kyrgios throwing his chair onto the court at the same time as he was being defaulted from the match. You know, he left in in a real strop, telling the crowd, I'm, I'm done, um, smashed his racket, kicked his water bottle as well. It was a whole scene. Um, I think I think maybe just after that there was a little bit of social media back and forth between the two, but mainly it sort of reared its head again when uh, later that year in October, Rude was giving an interview to Tennis Portalan, 
in which he he defended his massive celebration in that moment of victory. I think I think Kyrgios had felt, well, why celebrating? You've only won because I've 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 been defaulted. And Rude said he can say as much as he wants about getting disqualified, but it still says one nil to me. I don't know. He was totally crazy when I played him. It was nice to win. If I celebrated after the match or not, I don't care. I was happy to get 90 points and $50,000 prize money. Why wouldn't I celebrate? It's his problem that he's an idiot on court. Really strong quotes from Rude. (laughs) And Kyrgios Kyrgios did not take kindly to this. He, He responded on Twitter. He said, hey, at Kasparud98, next time you have something to say, I would appreciate you say it to my face. Um, sort of irony of him saying this on social media but anyway I'm sure you wouldn't (laughs) run your mouth so much after that until then I will continue to rather watch paint dry than watch you play tennis boring AF but again I understand why you have to keep my name in your mouth because people don't even realise that you play tennis Um, and then, and then last year it sort of came up again because the ATP were doing a sort of Q and A with Nick Kyrgios, and they said, "Got any questions for Kyrgios?" And at this point, Kyrgios had continued his feud with Rude, having having taken digs at him, just saying that he's climbing the rankings by doing well on clay. Uh, so Rude took the opportunity to hit back and say uh, his question for Kyrgios was, "What's your favourite clay court tournament?" Which was great, really good. And uh, Kyrgios just replied with your mum, which he quickly deleted and replaced with, ha ha ha, this is classic. Kasparud, you're a good player, but we all know you're stealing points through those tournaments. So I would say Rude is winning on and off court at the moment, to be honest, against Kyrgios. He's got that win in Rome. And if if you're desperately resorting to your mum gags, you're losing the sort of banter battle, I think. So Rude's Rude's got his number, um, but Kyrgios has been playing really well in Indian Wells. He's he's looked good. He's looked the best sort of version of Kyrgios, focused, getting the job done, but also having a bit of fun with it. So I think it's a very very late one tonight, UK time, but it may be a set alarm in the middle of the night deal because yeah, I've been waiting for these two to play. Yes. Yes, the the paint dry one was quite good, but uh, I just think <laughs> that Rude has wrestled the uh, the upper hand from Kyrgios since then. I agree, uh, including on the court because he's just played so well, hasn't he? I mean, he's really moved himself into another sphere of of ability and and performance. I think uh, Rude. Uh, now, one player who isn't here is Novak Djokovic. You may remember a week ago he was still in the draw when we were talking, and uh, and eventually Indian Wells put out a statement um, saying that he's still in the draw, um, but we're in communication with his team, and it's not been determined if he will participate in the event because uh, they they didn't know if the CDC would would give him approval to enter the country. And well, the following day. Djokovic withdrew from both Indian Wells and Miami. So it was all, oh dear, it, it, it was just all very Australian open, Paul Sakal and um, following people's uh, versions of events that we, we couldn't understand ourselves. But anyway, in the end, uh, Djokovic not playing. Yeah, I, I think it was just a, another little PR loss, really, for Djokovic. You know, in, in the end, I don't think it was a huge deal, but... It was just a bit irritating, you know, not withdrawing before the draw was made, because at that point you are 
impacting other people. You know, you are taking up a spot, you're messing up the balance of the draw. And look, people withdraw after the draw has been made all the time in tennis. You know, Barbara Krejcikova did it with with her elbow injury. But what I would say is people get criticised for that. I remember Murray at the US Open a few years ago withdrew after the draw had been made and that left Federer and Nadal in the same half. And, you know, he, he, he did take some criticism for that. And also I think it's different withdrawing at the last possible moment because of an injury that you hope might heal in time versus holding out to the last moment because you can't enter the country. You know, the idea that the rules were going to change so quickly and so suddenly at the last minute, just just a bit deluded really and doesn't doesn't really tally with everything he's been saying about coming across as really just accepting the consequences of not being able to play these events. So of course he's going to wait till the last possible moment to withdraw. I just think the last possible moment should be before the draw has been made, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, I share that view, absolutely. Um, now, the, the final talking point for this edition of the Tennis Podcast that we wanted to cover was in relation to the invasion from Russia in Ukraine and the quotes of Marta Kustyuk, a young Ukrainian player who who won an absolutely incredibly emotional match against her, her, her friend uh, Marina Zanevska, who is representing Belgium, but who was born in Ukraine herself and uh, has parents in Odessa. And after the match, I mean, this match was more than three hours long and the the players just fell into each other's arms at the end. And it was a prolonged hug, conversation at the net. And afterwards, Marta Kostyuk said that... um, what is very disappointing to her is that no Russian player has come to see her. Um, she said, none have told me that they're sorry for what their country is doing to, my, to mine. One player messaged me, another chatted with me, but I didn't hear any apologies. I didn't hear anyone telling me they didn't support that what was going on. And to me, that is shocking, said Kostyuk. She said, you don't have to be involved in politics to behave like a human being. Everyone knows what's going on. It hurts me. It hurts me every time I arrive at the stadium and see all these Russian players. Their only problem right now is not being able to make money transfers. That's what they're talking about. This is unacceptable, in my opinion. Now, Russian and Belarusian players have been allowed to continue playing tennis individually at these tournaments at the moment, provided that they do so under a neutral flag. You may remember us talking about that a couple of weeks ago, how they'd been banned from the Davis Cup and the Billie Jean King Cup, but Medvedev and Kudamatova and all the players we're talking about are able to compete in Indian Wells, but they don't have Russia next to their names. Now, Kostyuk strongly implied she would support a ban on players from those countries altogether. said, I do not agree with the decisions that have been made. I'll be concise. Look at other sports, she said. Look what they decided. That's all. And I can really understand why she feels like that, Matt. At the same time, I I continue to feel uncomfortable on behalf of Russian players who who have made it clear that they don't support the war. It, admittedly, most of them are not actively condemning an invasion by their country, again, which I kind of understand because it could well have ramifications for them individually if they did. But it's such a tough situation, this, isn't it? Yeah, it is, yeah. I mean, we have seen Russian players speak out 
I think Rublev perhaps the most publicly and, and explicitly with his no war please on the camera. I think Pavlyuchenkova gave gave very strong words in an, in an interview as well. Um, but lots of lots of the comments generally have been sort of perhaps perhaps slightly vague calls for peace um, rather than directly addressing it. But as you said, I, I you know obviously the Russian players are nowhere near in as bad a situation as the Ukrainian players and, and the people of Ukraine at the moment. But, it, you know, it isn't easy for them either. Um, just as you said, what are the potential ramifications if they do speak out so explicitly? We don't know. So it's it's just an incredibly hard situation. Um, but, yeah, I I can understand, of course, why Kostyuk feels the way she feels um, and why... She would probably hope to have some some conversations with Russian players and hope for them to come up to her and and speak to her. I, I, I can absolutely understand all that, and I can understand her views on on supporting a, a sort of blanket ban on on Russian players. As she said, other sports have done it. I think table tennis, um, obviously in the Paralympics as well, uh, f- figure skating, I believe as well. Tennis as as an individual sport is a little bit of an outlier, and it's not going to go away. This this issue, um, even Medvedev has has been talking. You know, I'm grateful I can keep playing at the moment, but he's he's qualifying it, and you know, I think he's aware that the situation could change. And yeah, I I feel terribly for all of the all of the Ukrainian players at the moment. It must be so so difficult. Yeah. So that's uh, another edition of the tennis podcast covering everything on court. We do have a weekly mascot, Matt. Tell us about Teddy. Yes, this is a lovely story. Teddy is a Norwegian Lunderhund, I think is how you say it, uh, which is a very rare breed. Uh, Fewer than 1,500 of them in the world, apparently. And Teddy has been put forward by Anna, friend of the tennis podcast. Um, And Anna has chosen Indian Wells week specially for Teddy to be mascot because that is where Anna and her husband Colin had their first date as a couple a few years ago. They spent 12 hours at Indian Wells, which sounds great. Um, And they've been to every Indian Wells since then. They're now, they're now married, um, but they can't go to Indian Wells this year. Fortunately for a very lovely reason, uh, because they've just had a baby, Mm -hmm. but, you know, we thought it would be nice and they thought it would be nice if Teddy could be mascot during Indian Wells week to sort of make up for the fact that, that they can't go this year, as is their tradition. And I don't think Colin knows that Teddy is the mascot. So, hello, Colin. I hope this is a nice surprise. He does now. <laughs> he does now because Anna Anna has been communicating with us secretly. So, very yeah. nice. And we're very pleased to have Teddy as mascot. And there'll be a lovely picture of Teddy in the newsletter. Brilliant. Good work, Anna. Excellent uh, undercover operation successfully <laughs> accomplished. Uh, and yes, as Matt says, our newsletter goes out every week uh, in a day or two's time. The next one will be out. So if you'd like to receive it, you get access to Matt's stat, you get our rubbish predictions, you get all sorts of stuff, pictures of the mascot. Uh, so sign up. The uh, details are in our show notes to this show. So you can find those on your phone if you're listening on it right now. Uh, and you can also find out how to become a friend of the tennis podcast, which is what uh, our 
personal mascots owners did. I've got Darwin, lovely Darwin. Uh, Catherine's got Carter. Matt's got Gerald the Cat. We've got our executive producers, Chris Albert Lee and Carl Weingartner, two top blokes who both became friends of the tennis podcast at the ultimate level. Uh, but you can still become a friend yourself, either at intro level or a shout-out level. We haven't got any shout-outs this week because Catherine's not here. Um, but we'll be back with those uh, very soon. You can still get a shout-out if you'd like in future shows. Uh, and just generally get access to all our other bonus content just for friends Um, and it just helps us produce the show year round we've got uh, loads of plans for the rest of the year and uh, we can't wait to hopefully attend some more tournaments and and just bring you as much good stuff as we possibly can matt you and i got through it with a bit of help from catherine (laughs) come back catherine for your for your botich van der zanschulp pronunciations and all the rest of it um but uh it was most enjoyable hope you've enjoyed it too and we'll be back on thursday as long as we're still on speaking terms david big match tomorrow night ah yes fulham against western wedge albion i am going to avoid that match because i don't see it working out very well for my team but uh anyway hopefully it's a draw (laughs) see you thursday 